The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. So please do that for your next year. Well, thank you so much. And as we come to this time of offering, I'm going to invite your attention to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 2 this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us or if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, I don't have the page number handy, but it, uh, Luke is uh, the fourth book, or excuse me, the third book of the New Testament. We're in chapter 2, big number 2, small number 36 for the verse number. And as we come this week, it is uh, we say this every year, but golly, it's hard to believe Christmas is three days away, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's going to be 60 degrees in Christmas, so you didn't even have to go to Texas to get a warm Christmas this year. You got it coming, but it's good to have you all as we continue through our journey on the throne to the trough, the throne to the trough, as we do this in Luke chapter 2. Well, in the, in the theme of missionaries this morning, one of the greatest missionaries of the 20th century was probably a man by the name of David Livingston. Many of you know this name. You know of him, you know about him. But David Livingston spent several decades in South and Central Asia. And although he's known as a great explorer, he was the first person to travel across Africa, and he was a dedicated medical missionary and slave abolitionist. I need to talk to my son for just a moment here. since 7 o'clock, uh, helping in all sorts of things, and we're getting very, very tired up front, as you can imagine. Yes, David Livingston was a man, though, who, uh, he was a man who had a lot of things going for him, but he was in present-day Zambia on May 1st, 1873, and he took his final breaths as he was dying from malaria and eternal bleeding caused by dysentery, and Britain wanted his body back to give him his proper burial, but the African tribes who loved him so much would not give his body back to the British. And so finally, the tribe relented, but they cut David Livingston's heart out literally. They literally cut his heart out and said, you can have his body, but his heart belongs to Africa. Livingston's heart was buried under a tree, under a spot where he died, which is now the site of a Livingstone Memorial. And he embalmed, they embalmed his body together with his journal that was carried over a thousand miles to the coast where it's on display in Westminster, Af in Westminster Abbey today. Quite a crazy story that a man would literally have his heart cut out because his heart belonged to a people that he loved so much. Friends, today we're coming to an even another greater dedicated person because we know that on every page of the Bible and on every page of church history, there are some remarkably dedicated people. And today's person is no exception. She is not David Livingston. She is by the name of Anna. And that's all we know. Anna. A-N-N-A. A-N-N-A. She was the ripe old age of her mid-80s. Now, some of you are in your mid-80s, and we don't say you're ripe. We just say you're nice and young. But she was definitely in a part where she was old. And she was a person who waited so many years. Her husband had passed 77 years before, and she spent her time every waking moment that she could serving God, waiting for the Savior to come, giving herself to a people who didn't care about God. They cared about religion, but she cared about God, and she cared about them. 
And just like David Livingston, it could have been said of her, her heart belonged to those people. Friends, we know this time of year that it is especially easy for our hearts to go many different ways, isn't it? It could be the thing that we get for Christmas or the thing we didn't get for Christmas, perhaps. It could be that our favorite sports team's not doing as well as we want them to, or they are. Our heart can go many different ways, but I pray today, like David Livingston, like Anna, we're going to study, that our heart is dedicated to this one thing. God, whatever you want out of me, that's what I want to give you. And church, that's a message for us as well. Wherever you want to take us, God, that's where we want to go. And so as we turn to Luke chapter 2, we will go through those things. But I want you to remember last week, if you were here, we talked about a young man named Simeon. Actually, a young old man named Simeon. My young Simeon is here, but we also have an old man named Simeon. And Deuteronomy 19 says this, and Amy will put this up. These two witnesses to Jesus' birth at the temple is a fulfillment of what Deuteronomy 19.15 says. It says, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or sin or in any sin that he sins at the mouth of two witnesses. You could not confirm anything without two witnesses. Last week, Simeon sang a praise to Jesus and God for, 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 for what was happening in front of his eyes, that he saw the Savior. And Anna, without saying any recorded words, fulfills the prophecy of a second witness that indeed this baby here, that we're going to read about is the Savior of the world. So this morning, the big idea, the summary of this whole thing is, like Anna, we too become what we focus on. We fix our eyes upon Christ, and we are conformed in His image. Can I ask you this morning, are your eyes focused on Jesus Christ? Are you focused on what He has for you in your family, in your job, in your church, in your relationships? Because this morning, four things that Anna's going to teach us. And yes, they all start with the same letter before you ask. Here they are. Four things I want you to learn this morning. We're going to learn the particulars of Anna, the piety of Anna, how she lived out her faith, the praise that she gave to God, and finally the proclamation that she makes. And these are not just about Anna. These are things for all of us because they show us what we are called to do. These are the traits of a focused Christian. And Christian, let me remind you, three days before Christmas, it is so easy in this time of year, not to be focused on the things God has for us. There can be a fat little man in a red suit. Ooh. There can be a red-nosed reindeer. There can be Christmas trees. And all those, I suppose, have their place. I'm not preaching against those necessarily. But what I am preaching is this. May our hearts be aflamed, not with the Christmas spirit or the warm fuzzies we get. May our hearts be aflamed that God himself came down and rescued sinners such as us. Amen? And that's what we're called to be. With that in mind, if you're able to stand this morning, would you stand as we read these just three or four short verses this morning from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 39. Luke 36 to 39. And this is what it says, reading out of the ESV. And it says, And there was a prophetess named Anna and the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer day and night. And verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And verse 39, and when they, that's Joseph and Mary, 
had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And we'll just read verse 40. And the child, that's Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Friends, two people, well advanced in years, but focused on one reality, that Jesus Christ is the most important thing that could ever happen in their lives. Will you pray with me this morning as we start our time together? Father, as we come before you, I thank you so much for our opportunity to be here. Thank you, Lord, that we have time to come together to worship you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we, we embrace all the traditions around us, but we mostly embrace this truth that we are unworthy people, but you sent us a Savior despite us, and you loved us so much that you sent your Son into the world to die for our sins. Let that be the message today. Father, thank you so much. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, the first thing I want you to see, and, and I want to remind you before we get to number one, the particulars about Anna and, and about a focused Christian, is that Luke is a historian. Some of you hate history. Some of you can sit in front of the History Channel all day and be entertained like a kid watching a movie all day. Do we have any History Channel buffs in here? Anybody? Patricia, I knew you were, of course. Some of y'all, Nelson, really? There you go. Well, Nelson, there it is. I, Pastor, I had no idea. But uh, it is one of those things that if you're a history person, you will love Luke. If you're not a history person, you're just like, give me the details. You're like, give me the Mark style. Like, we want to go from this story to this story to this story to this story. That's not how Luke writes. Luke records things, as you recall from the introduction in chapter 1. He said he wanted to write a detailed account so we would have the record of it. And we pick that up in verse 36 with the particulars of Anna. And I want you to notice at least four things here. The first thing I want you to learn is her calling. This will not be on the screen. I'll say them slowly, but her calling. You see there in verse 36 that she was a what? A prophetess. Oh, Darren, are you really going to preach on gender roles the Sunday before Christmas? No, but I'd like to explain to you what's happening here. She is called here a prophetess. In fact, the Old Testament mentions at least five women who are called prophetesses. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Miriam, the sister of Moses in Exodus 15. Deborah, the judge in Judges 4. Isaiah's wife in Isaiah 8. Uh, a couple more you may not know. Hulda, H-U-L-D-A-H, who was consulted by the young boy King Josiah in 2 Kings. And, and Noadiah, a false prophetess who opposed Nehemiah. And then in the New Testament, we have other prophetesses as well. One is Anna here in verse uh, 36. We also have in Revelation a false prophetess named Jezebel. And the four daughters of Philip in Acts 21 were prophetesses. But what does this mean? Does this mean that women were walking around prophesying and doing all sorts of different things? Well, I think this is what Luke has envisioned, and I think it's in step with what was happening in the Old and New Testament. Anna was called a prophetess, not because she predicted the future, but rather because God used her to speak the truth. Let me say that again. Anna was called a prophetess not because she predicted the future, but rather because God used her to speak the truth. You see, Anna may well have been a teacher of the Old Testament, especially to women. We know that this, this ceremony, this, uh, this law uh, fulfilling that Jesus is doing the eighth day after Mary had him, and we, we, we looked at that a little bit last week, is happening in the court of the Gentiles and the court of women. So we know that Anna is in a place that she spent a lot of time. It's very possible that as a prophetess, Anna was uh, kind of like a, uh, uh, well, 
Uh, so, so I can't think of any of the women kind of teachers for women's conferences. Some of you ladies know the bigger names. But maybe that type of person. Maybe someone who was well thought of because she knew the scriptures, but there's nothing that suggests that she was out writing Bible or she was out predicting the future. We just know she's a prophetess. She taught the word of God, most likely to women and children and families. And especially, you can see her ministry here, she was a widow. She especially had a heart for those who lost someone. And ladies, that was a pretty common occurrence back then. Many women were not married for a number of years because they didn't have anything to give back to men or anything else in that sense, financially or otherwise. And so they often were widows for the rest of their lives. But she was a prophetess. That's her first thing. She proclaimed the word of God, especially to women and children from what we know. But secondly, notice her name. Her name is very straightforward. You see her calling. But in verse 36, you also see her name. Her name is Anna, which means uh, grace. It's the same word from Hannah. We have a Hannah in our church, don't we? which means grace. Anna is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Hannah. And like the Old Testament Hannah, this Anna was characterized by prayer and fasting. Do you remember Hannah in the Old Testament? What was she praying for? Do you remember? She praying for a son, yeah, a baby, right, who became Samuel. And this name is a name given to her, which means she is grace-filled. She's full of grace. She's full of uh, opportunities to bless other people. But I want you to not only see her calling in her name, I want you to see her heritage, because this may confuse some of you. Luke tells us thirdly about her heritage. She says she was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Huh? Exactly. Who is this guy? If you go search in any Bible search engine, go type in the name Phanuel, we have no idea who this dude was. I mean, to put it lightly, we have no idea who he was. But out of him came a woman who was extraordinary for the word of God. What we do know is that Anna was of the tribe of Asher. Asher was one of the ten tribes of Israel that formed what we know as the northern kingdom who were taken away in around 722, 723 B.C. because they were sinful. They were taken away by Assyria many, many hundreds of years before this. But they were not lost. Before the fall, we know that these, these, these tribes tried to repent and tried to get back at least part in the way back with the Lord, but God sent them away. So the fact that Anna is back in the promised land after her ancestors of hundreds of years have been sent away is quite a thing. God prepared her for this time. So Anna's heritage includes people who tried to follow the Lord, and especially her father, who was of some renown because his name is mentioned, but we have no idea who her father is. But the last thing we know about her is this, her marriage. Did you see that? She got married, and seven years into her marriage, look back at the verse. Did you see that? Anna lived with her husband for how many years? Seven years from when she was a virgin, and then what happened? Her husband dies. Can you imagine? Guys, she's probably at the age she got married. She's probably about the age Mary was here in the same, in the same time. She's probably around, I mean, honestly, 13 to 16 years old. Add seven years. Maybe anywhere from 20 to 23 years old. And for the next however many years of her life, she spent at the time in the temple. She never remarries. And I want to remind you, ladies, especially those who've lost someone this holiday season, that your worth is not found in your husband or your kids. Your worth is always found in the Lord. Do you agree with that? No matter if you have a man in your life or not, the greatest one that you have is the one who saves you, and his name is Jesus Christ. But I think the summary of all these particulars, and Amy will throw this up, is that God always works through the men or women 
nobody wanted, and through the women, nobody wanted. God loves nobodies. God loves the small person. God loves the person of no renown. God loves the person who can't do anything worthwhile and takes them and makes them and uses them for something great. It's interesting, and I can't say it because we're on Facebook Live, but the person who spoke today about the country they serve in mentioned that there are very few Christians in the upper caste system, very few Christians who are rich and famous. You ever notice that? Why is that? Because what does money usually do to you? It becomes your God, doesn't it? And yet God uses a lady who's a widow, who's, whose family is of some renown, but really who has nothing in this life to use and to bring about the confirmation of this Messiah. If you're here today and you have no giftings, welcome to the family of God. If you're not a Christian here today, let me tell you this. You have nothing in your hands you can bring to Jesus except your sin. That's the only thing you got. And all Anna had was what she had in her history, the sadness the, the notoriety and her name and all these things, but God used her despite her background. That's excellent news because some of y'all grew up in backgrounds where it was pretty rough and tumble. And you say, well, I don't have a cool testimony like this person over there, so I may not be able to be used like God by God like this person over there. Friends, let me remind you, it's not your heritage about how you serve God. It's your faithfulness of God that teaches you to walk with him and be faithful wherever you are. Let's go to the second thing. Not only the particulars of Anna, but I want to also show you the piety of Anna. The piety. That's an old word. You all know that word, piety? No, I'm not talking about a piece of pie and you cut it into pieces. Not the piety. That's going to make you hungry now. But the piety, the, 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 the spiritual side of her, the, the, the faith of her, the piety. I want you to see this. You Look at verse 37. Now, just in verse 37 alone, you can see the rest of this. It says, and, and she was a widow of 84 years. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, I want to break this up because first, Luke says she did not depart from the temple. It's very possible, being a prophet, as being a teacher of the law to women and children especially, that Anna lived in the temple, that she lived there. Now, I've joked with Judy, our secretary, for years that we're going to move her and Steve because they do so much around here. Just like put them up somewhere. And it, so, Judy, if you're here, this is like, this is your calling, right? So we're going to get you here eventually. That's a joke, by the way, guys. Judy's not moving in. But you can imagine what would happen if you had someone hanging around the church all the time. It would be kind of funny. You, if you've ever been up here at church at night and unlocked the church or walked around with someone who's unlocked it, it's kind of spooky at times. And that person just kind of jumps up. Hello, how are you? And you, whoa, you know, it's one of those things. But she lived probably at the temple in one of the rooms of the outer court, probably occupied by one of the priests, but vacant for her. You know, and sometimes she's at the temple day and night. Now, I want you to think about that. She could have lived at the temple, but that doesn't mean she stayed at the church all the time. Many of y'all grew up. How many of y'all grew up going to church? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Whenever the church doors were open, you or your family or whatever was there. A few hands go up. We often say that, don't we? We say he's at the office a lot or he's out, uh, some of you retired folks, he's out fishing all the time. He's always hunting. Does that mean literally they're always outside 24-7 in their deer stand ready to take down a deer? Of course not. But it means they're supremely dedicated to what they're doing. And friends, I don't want to suggest to you today that, that you are not a Christian or you're not a super Christian or a spiritual Christian just because you can't make it to church all the time. But I do think it's a reminder to us that the greatest blessing we have is what you're doing right here today that together we are better because we are with Christ who is our head. And Anna knew that. 
And she took that to the nth degree because she knew the more she sought after Christ, the better her life would be. The reason she spent so much time is because she was surrendered to what God had given her. And you notice there, and, and Amy, you can go ahead and throw this up, and I think this is the simple faith lesson, is that spiritual strength is always the result of a good gospel diet and regular gospel disciplines. In other words, it is always you're stronger in the Lord, Christian, when you remind yourself of the gospel and you're, you're, you're in prayer, you're in Bible study, you're in worship, you're doing all these things. But the question is, are you building up for that battle? Are you building up for that battle? Some of you all are going to be starting new Bible reading programs in approximately nine days. You ready for that? How many of y'all are still reading through the Bible this year? You can raise your hand. You don't have to worry about it. Karen Lovins, you win the name of the game today, so good job. But you know, you're gonna, we're going to start reading the Bible again. Some of you are going to start in Genesis, and you're going to get to Leviticus, and you're going to like give up. Don't give up. Get through it. Pray through it. God's going to bless you through it. Some of y'all are in Numbers in Sunday school. You are going to be blessed through Numbers. I promise you. But Anna knew no matter what she had, the greatest thing she could do is give every part of her life to the Lord. If you have kids, that means you commit your kids to the Lord. If you have a job, that means you commit your job to the Lord. If you have nothing of the above, it's just you, yourself, and your cat. Well, praise the Lord. Commit your cat to the Lord in your house and let God use it for his glory. Amen? Whatever you got, give it to him. Did you see how she did this? She did it at least three ways. She did her fasting. Did you notice that? She was fasting. Pastor John MacArthur says that fasting is, quote, the self-denial that accomplishes passionate prayer. Let me say that again. MacArthur says that fasting is the self-denial that accomplishes passionate prayer. The purpose of fasting is not to lose weight. The purpose of fasting is for go time eating in order to spend it with the Lord. And she did that regularly. And that informed her prayer life. Did you see the order here? She fasted first, and then what was the second thing after that? She fasted, and then she what? She prayed. She wanted her focus to be there, and then it was ready for that. It's almost like an athlete who wants to get focused on the thing. You know, you see these guys with these, like, $1,000 headphones that are bigger than their head. You know, they put them on, and those big circles are, like, bigger than their head. You know what I'm talking about? They're out there doing this and doing this and getting ready because their focus is on the competition, what they're hired to do. You get a 100-meter sprinter before then, and you remember the Olympics. Usain Bolt was famous for this. His focus was like this. And when that gun went off, he sprinted as fast as any of them have ever done because his focus was ready. And Anna knew the closer she wanted to be to the Lord, the more it sacrifice it took. So she fasted so she could pray. Friends, we pray here and throughout the day, but this is not how Anna prayed. She prayed for hours and hours and hours and hours. Now listen, you don't have hours and hours and hours and hours probably to pray, do you? But do you pray with the hours through the day that God has given you? Do you just take a minute before your next appointment, before your next whatever task you have at your work or your job or whatever you're doing and say, Lord, would you just be with me? Would you bless it? Would you give me wisdom here? We can easily find an hour to surf the web or talk about the Chiefs, but is it any wonder why God is not more visible in our lives? Because we fail to pray and worship God as we're told to do. And that's what she did. She prayed, she fasted, and she worshiped God. Friend, this Christmas season, I pray that you take time to worship God at your house with your family to remind yourselves why we celebrate what we do.
Third thing is this, the praise. I want you to see, this is a very, very short point, but look at chapter 2, verse 38, and I want you to see what happens. She sees the child. She sees Jesus. We get all this history about her, but this is what she actually ends up doing. Look at verse 38. It says, and coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks. We're going to stop right there. She gave thanks for what? She gave thanks that this young couple, Joseph and Mary, brought this baby Jesus because she knew this was the one. I mean, y'all who are married or if you've been married before, do you remember what it was like when you knew that your spouse was the one? Yes, Hannah's like, I do, I do. We'll tell John, don't worry. Uh, It's all good. You remember that feeling? You got up there and you're like, boom. Now, you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know where the guys, especially, where am I going to buy a ring? How am I going to take care of it? They're actually going to let me marry this person, maybe? Really? But there's that feeling like, you're in, you got it magnify that times a million. That's how Anna felt. I found the Savior. Woo! Yeah. He was ready. So she goes out and she starts praising. The first thing she does, don't miss this, and she gave thanks to who? She didn't go up and say, hey, hey, hey. The first thing she did was she just started singing. We don't, she gave thanks to God. The literal rendering is she started singing. There's a lot of singing going on in these first couple chapters of Luke. The angels, uh, yeah, amen, that's right. Uh, all these people are singing. Why is she singing? Because everything she had ever hoped for was realized right in front of her face. Guys, she's old. We don't know if, she's, we don't know if she needs help move, being moved from one stage of the temple to another. We don't know if she's physically able to see. We don't know anything, but we do know this. God, just like he did with Simeon last week, told her this is the child. This is it. And she praised God for it. Amy, you can go ahead and put up the the slide. And guys, as we come here, I don't want you to think that she just came to a praise and worship service and started singing songs to Jesus. She sang songs to God because she knew intimately God through everything that she believed. Her praises to God started with her head knowledge about who God is. Don't miss that. As a prophetess, as one who fasted, as one who's prayed, as one who did all that stuff, everything she started singing, whatever that was, and we don't know what she sang, we just know what she did, came from her knowledge and her study of the scriptures of God. This is why we are very careful here at Tower View Baptist Church to filter the songs that we sing to make sure they are songs that actually mean something. Does that make sense? As a former youth pastor, I can tell you there are some happy, clappy songs for Jesus that really rile up the youth groups, but they're about this deep theologically. We don't want to miss theology and Jesus. We want both because Jesus is theology. Amen? The more you know about him, the more you want to sing about him. Oh, just like when you got married. Oh, my goodness, my wife is perfect. Oh, my goodness, my husband is the best. But he didn't put the toilet seat down. Why didn't he clean up the toothpaste in the sink? Come on, it happens. Friends, but our God is never like that. The more you know about him, the less he disappoints you because he will never disappoint you because he's always the same. He's always on target. He always has your best interest at heart. And Anna knew this. Anna knew that, Lord, you took my husband all those years ago, but for this moment is what I've been waiting for. I can now die in peace. Does what we know in our head inform how we sing with our heart and our lips? I pray it does. Last thing is this, not only who she is, not only the particulars of her life, the piety and the praise, but finally I want you to see this, the proclamation. Look at the end of verse 38. 
she not only praises God, but she proclaims. She first talks to God and, and, and giving thanks, and, and, to sp- and then she goes to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of the Jerusalem. Who is she going to? She's going to people that she knows will understand what she's going through. As a Christian, you are going to find people will say, I'm a Christian. Oh, man, sign me up for that list. Yeah, I go to church. I go to mass. I go to this. I go to this. I go to this. I go to this. But when you talk to them about the deeper things of Jesus, it's like talking to a brick wall. Do you understand what I mean? And church member, don't think just because you've been a member of this church for any number of years that you cannot slip into this mode. She went and talked to people who were as on fire and ready for the Messiah to come as she was. You better believe she probably talked to Simeon, who we read about last week. She went and proclaimed it. What did she proclaim? Notice verse 38, the, the subject of her proclamation, she spoke of him. She didn't come up and say, man, I've been fasting, I've been praying, look at me, I'm so super spiritual Christian, I get a gold star today. She talked about him. And she went and said, I found him. I found him. The gospel is not about us. It's about Jesus, isn't it? If it's about what God has done in the person and work of Jesus. And if we talk more about what we are doing for Jesus than what Jesus has done for us, temperature check, where are we with Christ? Friends, and Amy will throw this up, the greatest witness you can have to your unbelieving family is our pro- proclaiming of the gospel Adorned by our love, our kindness, our patience, and our willing service. Guys, I've shared this before, and I think I wrote it in my notes uh, to share again, that I can tell you that spending years down in the the streets of Westport as a single unmarried man doing ministry, doing street preaching, doing all those sorts of things for years and years and years, I I really did want to see people come to Jesus, but my love for those people was like this, because it was about the motion of doing it. It wasn't about the heart behind it. I had all the right words, I had all the right things to say, and I think God blessed it despite me, but God wants us to remember it's not just about going and saying, you're a sinner, you deserve the worst, God loves you, it's about your whole life around them. For some of you going home for the holidays or having them over at your house, whatever you do, if you do that sort of thing in the next few days, it's going to be hard for you because they know your past, they know your secrets, they know when you've messed up, they know the things that don't make the Facebook social media feed that has you smiling and looking good all the time, but the reality is something else. But let me remind you that as long as you talk about him, you can never go wrong. As long as you mention the Lord, you're going to be okay. And you pray, Lord, help me to be patient. Help me to be loving. Help me to be serving. Lord, whatever it is, help me to go do it. But I want you to see her audience. It's, it was to all. She spoke to all of those waiting. She went around. Can you see this old lady running around? Can you see this old lady? <laughs> Friends, I love people who live to be 80 plus years old. You guys are amazing. I hope I get to live to be 40. And that's five years away. <laughs> right? That feels like a distant reality. But can you see this old lady just running around? I found him. He's here. They probably thought she was off a rocker. Hey, let's, let's go get you some eggnog, ma'am. Come on back. This she was ready because she knew the Savior. She wanted to talk about him. And all she could speak of is that Anna believed God was going to send a deliverer, and he's right here. Mark my words, folks. He's right here, she would say. 
Friends, that is what we do with the gospel. We look at our Savior and say, look, your life may be in the dirt and may, may be in the gutter, but Jesus says, I will find you wherever you are. All you have to do is believe on me and throw yourself 100% behind me, and I am with you. What a Savior. He loves us so. And I love Anna because that's it. She just walks off the page, and you never hear a word about her. I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven when we get there. I don't know. We don't know a lot of particulars, honestly. Don't believe every little kid who says he has a vision about heaven or a guy who says he went there for 12 minutes. Don Piper in the book a few years ago. Don't believe that hogwash. But believe this. Someday you're going to be in the presence of your Savior, and you're going to be worshiping with Anna, with the wise men, with Simeon, with probably the shepherds, and a lot of people you have no idea, but we have this one thing in common. This God's amazing. And that's what we take. He loves us, and that's all we need. Church, as we enter 2020, we have a lot of things to do in this building. We have a lot of things to figure out organizationally as a church. We have a lot of things to do as business as a church, but may we never forget this one thing. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but will have eternal and everlasting life. Amen. Let's close as we close today.